Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch Blackpool. For more information, please visit ccblackpool.co.uk. Great, well, it's lovely to be with you all. I come in each time. Um, it's great to be part of a loving, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled church, isn't it? You know, when you read 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says how you should meet together. He doesn't say you should have one chap up the front doing it all and you just join in. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, when you come together, everyone has a gift. A tongue, interpretation, a song, a reading. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying should be the norm. And that's what's happening here, isn't it? I was brought up in a Baptist church, it was a lovely Baptist church, but it was all done up the front. And it was all so controlled, so you knew exactly what was going on, and going on all the time. I see a spontaneity in the scripture, don't you? I, I'd love to come every Sunday and think, what's going to happen today? It's all going to be decently in order, there's nothing going weird. But isn't that exciting? I mean, I was singing a song in, what language was that? Was it, what language were you singing? Ibu, Ibo, Ibu. How about that? We sang a song at our church the other day called "It Was a Makanaka," uh, and that's. Do you know that one? Makanaka, and that, that's uh, Zimbabwean. And and what is lovely is our, our cultures start to blend, and we learn from one another, don't we? It's great, isn't it? So when you come on a Sunday, don't be shy. You see, I was brought up in this way, which sat there. And, is my prayer good enough and is it available? Actually, we need you to pray because you've got a different relationship with God than I have. Haven't you? Yes? yes? yes. You've got your own unique relationship with him. So when you start to pray, you reveal some of that relationship. I think, wow, that's helpful. Wow, that's good. That enriches me. So don't be shy. I mean, I pounced on dear Shagon today. He didn't mind. It was a lovely prayer. Then I grabbed hold of Isaac. Because they're both willing to pray and love the Lord. Think, is it, worth, is it worth me praying? Yes, it is. Wasn't that lovely prayers, both of those? And lovely, you're sharing about yourself. It's all new, isn't it? Woo. It's a new relationship with God. See, church isn't lots of forms. It's working a relationship out with God. And he's not like us sometimes. And he drives me mad sometimes, doesn't he? The way he blesses certain people and not other people. But it's my problem, his, isn't it? But he loves you, and he's going to help you through all you're going through. Such a thrill to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. He's got you. Don't worry, he's not going to let you go. <laughs> what was I talking about? Nothing. All right, here we are. Okay, I just put this verse up here. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Well, that's not bad, is it? So as you come this morning... I'm going to consider, how can I spur my brothers and sisters on towards love and good deeds? That can't be bad, can it? Not giving up meeting together, oh dear me, as some are in the habit of doing. God, back in Paul's day, well, actually it's the writer of Hebrews, people were oh, I'll take it or leave it. He says, the habit of some people, wow. But he says, but encouraging one another... And all the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. That's the point, isn't it? He is coming back. I don't know when. But I want to encourage and build you up to good deeds today. So let's be quick because someone's doing the kids' work out there. (laughs) That is a ministry, isn't it? eh? 
I came this morning, and there was a great bit, a lot of worship going on. Do you know what the worship was, Clem? Moving that thing there, moving that out there, putting leads around here. I had to put the chairs out. That was worship, wasn't it? Yes. People laying their lives down. And you didn't see any of it, a lot of you. Now, there's people out there with the kids serving for us. That's wonderful, don't you think? Bless them, Lord. You know what your kids are? They're perfect. <laughs> Not. Bless them, Lord. <sighs> right. <laughs> we are like the first churches in the New Testament. Small groups meeting together. I was reading Philippians the other day. Do you know what their early church was like? Do you know what that church was like? You come in and there was a slave girl that had been demonized and oppressed with the spirit and was fortune telling. And Paul managed to cast the demon out. And because she was no good then to her slave owners, so they took her in, looked after her. There she is at the back row. Next to her is Lydia. She's a businesswoman. If you read Acts, Acts 6, Acts 16, she's a businesswoman selling purple robes and stuff. Whoa. She had a group of praying friends. They used to meet down the, 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 the river and pray sometimes. So you've got this slave girl, but next to Lydia, you've got the jailer. Now he's an ex-soldier, and he locked Paul and Silas up, and an earthquake had got them free, and he thought he was going to kill himself because he's lost his job. But Paul said, whoa, 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 Don't, we're all here. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And he was thoroughly saved and baptized the same night. And so in the church, you've got a slave girl, a businesswoman, some of her mates, a soldier, a rough soldier too, with his family, motley crew. Look around the room. We've got a motley crew here, haven't we? <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Let's see how I get this to work. You see, they were separated from gods, all these people. They were separated from Christ and all that was there. And Paul actually says this. He says, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. That's to do with the, the law of God. Without hope and without God in the world. And that's what you are like. If you're not born again of Jesus, not loving Jesus, not having him as your Lord, you're without God and without hope in the world. Isn't that awful? I don't know how they get by. I can't get through a day without the Lord helping me. It's interesting, isn't it? And so what happened? These early Christians suddenly realized their isolation and their need for Christ. And they came to him. And in coming to him, they found a new brother and a new sister. Wow. And they suddenly found that they were part of a family. So let's try this again, shall we? This will be interesting. Ah. John writes this, doesn't he? About those, they didn't receive Jesus. But he says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. These people simply believed in Jesus, put their trust in him. And as they did that, God gave them the right to become children of God. 
Do you believe in Jesus? You're his child. Once he's your kid, once you're his child, you're always his child. If you're born again of God, which is what happens when you believe in Jesus, he does something in you. It means I can go to Australia, but I'm still his. I can go to Hawaii, I'm still his. I can have the deepest pit of despair, I'm still his. My own children have to bear the name Arscott, not a wonderful name for a child. They can move to Australia and call themselves Jones, but they're still my kids. If you're born of the Spirit of God, you're his child. He's not going to let you go. And for these early Christians, it was wonderful because suddenly they were part of a family. Because if I'm a child of God, then I have brothers and sisters. True? So when we understand he loves us and died for us and calls us to be saved and join his family, it thrills us and it humbles us at the same time. Because we know we've done nothing to save ourselves, do we? We've done nothing. He's done it all. He's poured out on us, we who are undeserving. Now, it's quite interesting when you look at those early churches, because they were made of strange conjunctions of people. For example, you could have a slave owner over there, and their slave sitting there. And Paul would say, I want you to greet one another with a holy kiss. That was like handshake, or a hug we would call it. But I, I should think, outsiders looking at the church meeting, think, what are they meeting with them for? They're poor. They're despised. That's, that's a slave. What's going on? And then to see them come and kiss one another, not the, <laughs> that's not a holy kiss. <laughs> holy kiss, as you know, it's an Eastern kiss. <laughs> but to see them hug, you know, there's this slave owner hugging a slave. Why? Because they both need Christ. They are both sinners saved, aren't they? There's no partiality. God is impartial. There's no partiality. God says, no, I love you all. And so what happens is when you start to love Jesus, you begin to come down on all those prejudices that will be there. <clears throat> Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said that to a small group of 12 men, as you know. But he was announcing a new community. See, a church is a building. In other words, it's not a building. It's a building of our lives together. Jesus says, I'm going to build a church of people who are the building blocks of this new building. And if you want to follow me, I'm going to build you into the lives and with the lives of other people. He was announcing a new community, a new family built on the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour, the Lord of all. And of course, this is always God's intention. If you go back to somewhere like Ezekiel 36, he said, uh, you shall dwell in the land that I give you. I gave you our fathers, really. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. God's whole intention, if you look at the Old Testament, was to have a people, to have a family. Where, and I'll give you a land. You can live in that land. And you can follow my ways, not the ways of the world. And I'll be your God and you'll be my people. His intention was always to have a people, not individuals. Yeah? So even Jesus, when he's coming and, and he's brokenhearted over Jerusalem, he says, oh, Jerusalem. He says, oh, Jerusalem. He says, I would, how I would have gathered you as children together, like a hen gathers a brood under her wings, and you would not come to me. Can you see how he, he wanted to gather can you see how God is rubbing his hands with glee at the moment? Why? 
because there are thousands of churches worshipping Father together. This family is one of them. God must be thinking, oh, look, this is lovely. <laughs> look at that group. Look at that. Look. Wow, that one's just become a Christian. Wow, look at that one's changing their life. That one's, their marriage is being mended because they've turned to me. Can you see how Father God's loving it, yeah? And because before us, the baton was passed on because God was doing stuff in Australia today, hours before. And then through <laughs> Eastern Europe, <laughs> into the West, go on to America, wasn't he? Five hours time. Can you see how wonderful that is? And God just wants to gather a community. So the church here is special to him. <laughs> and when I look at um, who Jesus chose as disciples, two stand out as really opposites. He had Simon Zelotes, who was a terrorist, who was ambushing Romans. If a Roman went into certain parts, a Roman soldier on their own, they often got knifed. He was a resistance worker. He hated Rome. He was zealous for his country. And in the same band of 12 disciples, we have Matthew. And Matthew is taking money from the, his own people, charging extra to put in his pocket, and giving that to the Romans. We can say, hold on, Jesus, how can you put people like that together? I mean, naturally, they would be killing each other. Well, Simon would be killing Matthew. Matthew would be running for it, I expect. But they were learning that actually this new community <laughs> meant they had to come under the kingdom of with those values. Their allegiance to Jesus trumped their previous personal ambition, <laughs> their racism in some, in some ways. They were now living for the kingdom and they were built into his ways. Today we live in a culture of individualism, don't we? Where it's all about me and my identity. I think I identify as a Chinese person. I think, <laughs> I, think I identify as a chicken or something. I don't know. Um, but it's all about me. If it works for me, it's fine. If it's not doing anybody else harm, it's fine. And, and I, I think last time I reminded you that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve wanted to be individual apart from God. They, they insulted God. It was like a slap in the face of God. Not physically, but in his heart. Adam said, in effect, I don't trust you, God, anymore to provide the best life for me. I think I know better than you what the best life is. I reject your love, I reject your wisdom, I reject you as my all-wise, all-providing father. I vote for myself as a sovereign in this relationship. I will do it my way. And that was how man scorned the greatness and the beauty and the worth and love of God. It was an outrageous, violent action. Piper says, here's the problem. Falling beings are oblivious to the magnitude of that outrage. Most people don't know that that's what it is between them and God. They might say, oh, I do pray to God occasionally, but they are living in to God. So he's oh, not important. In fact, I'm going to run my own life, thanks. It's only when they get desperate, they start to call out to a God they hope's there just to fix them, instead of saying he's the God of the universe who loves them anyway. And so I think modern life is very individual. It's, you know, people are cast away from God. No wonder they feel isolated, 
and insecure. <laughs> and then we have all sorts of mental help that's needed there because they are struggling to find, who am I? They're told that we were made by an explosion, randomness, and we're going to nothingness, and they're meant to have some purpose in the middle. How, how absurd. Without God, without hope in the world. Added to that, there's a great distrust of authority figures, aren't there? Politicians, Christian celebrities even. Uh, they get exposed to be hypocritical and shameful. Who can we trust? I think we know who we can trust, don't we? We need to trust somebody who is trustworthy. We need someone we can trust who is faithful at all times. We can trust God Almighty, can't we? And we can accept Jesus. You see, we don't want to be individual. We're saying, Lord, I want you to be Lord over my life. We want to declare that God's word, actually, is the final authority on how I live. His faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. So with these early Christians and with us today, we're living in a very secular society that don't know where, and they don't belong. And God is saying, here's the gospel. Come and get saved. Come and have peace with God. Come and have hope again. Come and belong. So, believing in the good news of Jesus not only brings us back into a relationship with God and gives us a purpose to live with, but also gives us a family to belong to. Church culture should be all about him and his family. We have a purpose to live for and a family to belong to. Is that good news? Can I say, do you know you belong here? Yes? You belong. Because you belong to God. You matter to him. You matter to us. So Jesus' aim is to have his church gathered together in every in generation. It's interesting, the first, book, uh, first church in Acts chapter 2, it grew. How did it grow? It, it wasn't just believers getting believed. I mean, 3,000 got saved. How about that? Would you like that? 3,000 just got saved. Look after them, will you? Gulp. Mm. Could have a back massage as well. <laughs> it says in Acts chapter 2, they, they prayed, they loved each other, shared good belongings, listened to the teaching, broke bread together, and it says, and the Lord added to them. So anyone who became a Christian was added to the church, yeah? Didn't just go off on their own. They belonged. That's why Paul says, you are members of God's very own family. You belong in God's household with every other Christian. That's where you belong. That's your home now. Isn't that great news? He talks about the family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of the truth. This family. Wow. It's the support and foundation of... Because we declare the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. We declare the truth. And therefore this church becomes the support and foundation of that. Phil Moore says this, since you need other Christians, missing church is folly. Since other Christians need you, missing church is fraud. <laughs> I quite like that. If you're not gathering with your people, your brothers and sisters, is Jesus really your Lord? Is he really your 
a loving father, as it were. We need one another, don't we? We were made to need one another. A Christian without a church family is an orphan. Through Jesus, we are joined to all who belong to him. A bit like a spokes of a wheel. Jesus in the middle. The nearer you get to Jesus with your spoke, oh, the nearer you get to one another. <laughs> That's why the New Testament metaphors for the church are all about our relationship. Look at these. These are some of the New Testament metaphors for the church. The good shepherd and his flock of sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. If he is my good shepherd, I'm part of his flock, following him with others. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'm the vine, you are the branches, says Jesus. Again, joined to him and to one another. Not in a clingy sort of way, but in a careful, loving, freely giving sort of way. It's talked about built on the foundation with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. Remember I talked about Jesus said, I will build my church. He talks here, this is Paul talking about we are living stones. Always moving about, but being built together. Notice that He's the chief cornerstone. If he's your chief cornerstone that you're building your life on, guess what? You'll be building next to other people. They do us good, don't they? The head and the body. Individual parts working together for the good of all. Now you're the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. You're important. Now you might say, but I'm not very important. I don't care if you're an earlobe. I need you to hear properly so the ear can work properly. I don't care if your hair up the nose because you're filtering out some dirty things. Some things we can see, some things we can't. Paul talks about the hidden things. Some things we cover up, but they're vital. I remember uh, um, a, a, a teacher when I was a kid didn't turn up for a week, and he, he said uh, when he came back, he caught an infection on the cochlea in his ear, which is a very small little kind of bone. You can hardly see it. But he got an infection, and when he stood up, he kept falling down. Couldn't stand up, kept falling down. So you might be a cochlea in the ear of the Lord, but you're needed. We're all needed. We are. Every one of us. Do you hear that? Yes. You have worth. Jesus died for you. Other people might rubbish you, reject you, whatever. Jesus paid on the nail for you. Jesus loves you. And you're, we need you. You might not think you need to be here. We need your friendship, your love. Wow. So... All those show us that belonging to Jesus always means to be part of his church. I put down here, a disconnected Christian is like a football player without a team. Oh, you're good at football. I'm brilliant at football. Yeah, but you're meant to be playing in a team. Or you could be a soldier without a regiment. Where are you going? Where are you serving? Or a violin player without an orchestra no 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 actually play you're meant to be playing with others that's when you shine that's where you support other instruments or i put down a sheep without a flock that's dodgy isn't it if a sheep's not in the flock watch out mr fox mr wolf will come and get you or it could be a child without a family jesus said i'll build my his local churches are vital. It's not just the big church. It's the local church. So when you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, 
you'll find Jesus walking among seven lampstands, which are seven churches in what is now Turkey, was Asia Minor. And for each church, Jesus loves them and has words for them, has a warning, has a promise. So when Jesus looks at Blackpool, he'll see many churches over Flyd, is it? Flyd, we call it? Filed. Always get that wrong. L on the other side, yeah, filed. As he's looking, there are many churches. There's one church, but they're comprised, like the seven churches in Revelation, of individual churches that do relate to each other. Each one is precious. Christ Blackpool is very, very precious. Did you know that? He is actually jealous for you that you will grow well and you will love each other. He's looking to you whether you'll love him by caring for each other. Who is it all for? All this work of Jesus doing this, that and the other. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed Jesus to be head of everything for what? For his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, why has God placed all things under the feet of Jesus and appointed to be the head of everything? Who's it for? For the church. See, that's in, see, his whole plan is coming. When this age is finished, Jesus returns and a new heaven and a new earth is there. He's going to actually bring his glorious bride together. That's his purpose. The whole purpose of his salvation, the whole purpose of him coming to the earth, the whole purpose for creation was to have a people who he could love. That's the whole point of it. That's what Genesis is all about. But Adam and Eve rebelled. So he had to bring in a new plan. And then, because Jesus then brought in the solution, wonderfully, to bring us back to him. Amen? So we should begin to learn to live together now because you're going to live with each other for eternity. I've got to put up with Ben for eternity. Goodness gracious me. That's where grace and mercy comes, I not really. <laughs> of course, you do know that the church, although in this country it's declining... The church worldwide, listen, is growing at 1.17%. And today there are 2.56 billion members of the church. Uh, started with, I will build my church with 12. 120 meeting together on the day of Pentecost. 3,000. In a little place, Jerusalem. And now we're talking about how many of us? Wow. 2.56 billion members. I think the recent UK survey included 13.1% adults attend church once or twice a week. Doesn't mean they're born again or anything, but it's not brilliant, is it? But the churches that are growing, funnily enough, are charismatic, Bible-believing churches. That's, that's encouraging, isn't it? Churches like ourselves. And it's, we can't make it grow. God has to make this grow. We've not, nothing clever here. We've just worshipped the Lord, opened the scriptures, love one another, and we're finding this is growing because God is adding us together. Lovely, isn't it? Yeah, nothing up my sleeve. Church. <laughs> How's it work? Amazing. Do you know what the fastest evangelical church in the world is at the moment? Where it is? This is, no, this will surprise you. Iran. 
20 years ago, in Iran, there were just between 5,000 and 10,000 Christians badly persecuted. It's now the fastest growing evangelical church in the world with approximately 88,000 members. Many women have turned to the Lord, you know, because they're rebelling against the whole birth and all that kind of stuff. Iran. You see, it's wonderful. God said, okay, you Westerners, you're all money mad. I love you, I'll bless you. I'm going to do something special here. Some are having dreams. Some Muslims are having some dreams. Yeshua, etc. It's incredible, isn't it? In 1900, there were 8.7 million Christians in Africa. Today, 300 million professing Christians. Again, you'll get nominal and whatever, but that's an amazing journey. Of course, it's the, they call it the fastest growing religion in China, but I don't call our faith a religion, do you? Because we don't have to earn our salvation. We're not being religious. We're just enjoying a relationship with him who loves us. And that takes time and working ourselves out. Starting 2,000 years ago with small churches like ourselves, like the one in Philippi with a slave girl, <laughs> a businesswoman, the jailer. Isn't it amazing? Just churches like ourselves, it took the world by storm. A bit like Jesus said, it's a mustard seed. This is a mustard seed in Blackpool, but it's already growing. Or put it another way, Jesus said it's like leaven. You're a bit of leaven in the loaf of fire. Got it right that time. You're like a leaven, bit of leaven in fire. You know what leaven does, what yeast does. What is like yeast in a fire. <laughs> from inside out. <laughs> My friend Nancy, she's 96, so I go and see her about every six weeks if I can. And um, she was once a missionary for with, with Wycliffe Bible translators in Papua New Guinea. Okay? And uh, I was chatting to her and praying with her the other day, which was lovely. And she showed me this article. Now, Wycliffe Bible translators for the last... Uh, 60, 70 years have been going to tribes that are way out in the world who haven't got their own language sometimes so they have to write the language and then uh, put it down in writing so they can read and then get the Bible it's hard work isn't it but it's got easier lately because of computers of course and communications um, she showed me this article I think it's lovely if you could just, be, I think you'll find it encouraging okay now um this one is, uh, they, they're working in Cameroon. Can you see where Cameroon is? Like, do I, do I say the armpit? Um, it, just below Nigeria. See the yellow country? Cameroon, okay. And uh, the Hidi people, HDI people, okay, uh, were working on the New Testament, trying to understand who God is. They were looking at the word to love. They had discovered it thoroughly. But one more conversation was needed to reveal God's fingerprints on their language and his love for the Cameroonian people group. Almost every verb in the Hiti language has forms ending in I, A, or U, each with a different meaning. But when it came to the word for love, there was only Devi or Devar. Dangwa Pierre president of the translation committee, remembers how the discussion started. Question, could you divvy your wife? Yes, everyone agreed. 
That would mean that the wife had been loved, but the love was gone. Divi love. Second question. Could you devour your wife? Yes, Tawanga said. That kind of love depends on the wife's actions. She will be loved as long as she remained faithful and cared for her husband well. Hmm. Question. Could you devoo your life? <laughs> Everyone laughed. Of course not, Dangle explained. If you said that you do voo your wife, you would have to keep loving your wife no matter what she did. Even if she never got you water, never made you meals, even if you committed adultery, you will be compelled to keep on loving her. No, we would never say devu. It just doesn't exist. Thinking about John 3.16, the Bible translator asked, do you think, could God devu people? There was complete silence for three or four minutes. Then tears flowed down to Vanga's face. The other men began weeping too. Finally, Duanga responded, do you know what this would mean? This would mean that God kept loving us over and over, thousands of years, while all that time we rejected his great love. He is compelled to love us, even though we have sinned more than any people. One simple vow changed the meaning from, I love you based on what you do and who you are, to, I love you based on who I am. God's saying. God had encoded the story of his unconditional love into their language. For centuries, the word was there, but it was unused and unavailable, grammatically correct and quite understandable. When this new understanding of love was discovered, it challenged the entire traditional belief system of the Hidi people. If God was like that, did they need the spirits of ancestors to inceive for them? Did they need sorcery to relate to the spirits? Many decided the answer was no. And the number of believers quickly grew from a few hundred to several thousands. The Hidi New Testament was actually launched in 2013, meaning that its 54,000 speakers can now feel the impact of passages like Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, devoo your wives, just as Christ devoed the church, loved unconditionally. Wow. By the way, at the moment, that's now doing the Old Testament. They've nearly, they're just checking it through. Do you know there are currently 365 Bible translators working across the world for Wycliffe? One translator for every day of the year. Isn't that wonderful? Is the church growing? I tell you, it's growing. Our country is declining, but not in churches like ourselves, which hold to the word of God. We see others getting watered down, don't we? Nearly down the back straight, stick with me. What are the benefits that the church can give us? A local church like this especially. Well, here are the benefits. You can have the worship of the true God. Worship helps you focus on God, doesn't it? It prepares you spiritually and emotionally for the week ahead. Do you agree? So if you don't get involved in church or you miss it, you miss that. It provides fellowship. It helps you face life's challenges and problems. Do you have any of those? <laughs> That's why I go to home group every Wednesday. Not for what I can get out of it. I think, do I need to encourage some of my brothers and sisters? It provides the support and encouragement of other Christians. It provides discipleship. 
It helps you fortify your faith by learning the truth of God's word and applying biblical principles to your lifestyle. Wisdom. Jesus said, anyone who hears my words and does them is building a house on rock. But anyone who doesn't build their life on my words is building on sand. You go out there this week and you'll get barraged with all sorts of negative news, emotional culture, talk about all sorts of gender things, and you think, you come to church, you hear the word, you think, yes, that's the truth. Wow, okay, I can live. It provides ministry. It helps you find and develop your talents and use them for serving others. And some of you have got talents there which are beginning to come out. And your, your talent might be just as an encourager. That's a vital ministry. There's a lot of miseries out there, aren't there? A lot of miserable people. And just spending some time with you encourages me, I know. And also, it provides evangelism. It helps you fulfill your mission in reaching your friends and family. It takes you out of yourself, reaching your friends and family, thinking of others. That's what it does. <laughs> Gunnar Gunderson says this, healthy churches don't typically grow by leaps and bounds through splashy initiatives and clever strategies. <laughs> they grow like trees, slow, steady, strong, with small but certain rings to show for each passing year of faithful collective ministry. I like that, don't you? We're just getting on with it. We're just loving one another. Let's see what God does. Wow. Terry Virgo says, the church to which you and I belong to is more wonderful than anything else in all creation. Solving the problem of sin and a fallen world and divided humanity was a greater challenge to God's wisdom than the creation of the world. The wisdom needed to create DNA, buds, seeds, and planets is breathtaking. But the wisdom needed to solve the problem of a fallen humanity, a cursed world, supersedes even this. God has been pleased to demonstrate to principalities and powers the greatness of his wisdom. And the way he has chosen to do it is through what? The church. This is the greatest display, demonstration of his wisdom. We will never stop researching the wonders of the universe with David Attenborough. <laughs> the angels will never stop researching the church. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Scripture backing that up is this scripture. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God shall be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when the powers demonic and angelic look on here they are shocked because instead of arguing and falling out with each other God is bringing together people of different ages and cultures and backgrounds and bringing love to show it's, it's God's wisdom it's amazing isn't it I mean I, I know in my own church I wouldn't be in the same room as some of those people not because I don't like them but they're just not my type I've got the most strange sense of humour I suppose I have too. But, you know, but God has brought us together. It's something special. And as I get humbled and learn that, I get enriched by who they are. And this is, this is God's wisdom. It completely undoes the enemy. He wants division, isolation. Do it on your own. No, you belong. Yes? You belong. You belong to him and you belong to one another. You're never meant to go it alone. 
And that's why uh, Billheimer says this, as the Lord of history, God is controlling all of its events, events, not only on earth, but in all realms, to serve his purpose of bringing to maturity and eventually with enthronement with his son, not angels or archangels, but the church, his chosen bride. So God is controlling all events, working around, and he's waiting patiently with arrogant, rebellious people because he's getting people saved in the midst of it. You know, the persecution of China, I'm getting my own people in China. You can say what you like. Russia, I've got Russians. And you can see him working away, busily bringing through people who he loves, who come together. In some of those places being persecuted, not so much with us. And I think it's just glorious. You need to know... That what he's doing here, if this is God, if this is how God feels about Christchurch Blackpool, is precious, it's special. I died for you. It changes our attitude about our church here, doesn't it? It makes me think this is wonderful. And we see these big churches. Oh, look at those thousands. Problem with thousands, of course, you can sit there and do nothing. Here, you're encouraged to grow, aren't you? Yes, you're challenged to listen. You can't hide here. Rob Bell, who I completely disagree on most of his theology, made this comment about the church. I'm finishing now, so you, we're there. Talk about the church. He says, it, she's a mystery, isn't she? Still going after all this time. After the Crusades and the Inquisition and Christian cable television. Still going. And there continues to be people like me who believe she is one of the best ideas ever. In spite of all the ways she has veered off track, in spite of all the people who have actually turned away from God because of what they experienced in church, I'm starting to realise why. Church is like a double-edged sword. When it's good, when it's on, when it's right, it's like nothing on earth. A group of people committed to selflessly serving and loving the world around them. Great! bad, all that potential gets turned the other way. From the highest of heights to the lowest of lows. Sometimes in the same week, sometimes in the same day. But she will live on. She's in. When she dies in one part of the world, she explodes in another. She's global. She's universal. She's everywhere. And while she's fragile, she's going to endure. In every generation, there will be those who see her beauty and give their lives or see her shine. Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against her. That's strong language, and it's true. She will continue to roll across the ages, serving and giving and connecting people with God and with each other. And people will abuse her and manipulate her and try to control her, but they'll pass on. She will keep going. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Where's it all going, guys? Well, I've already said this, really. My last comment, Where is the, what's the church destiny? What's the destiny of this church? Here it is in Revelation. They all, in, in heaven, there's this great roar. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. No, it's gone as it, it says. <laughs> Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb and his bride. What's his bride? has made herself ready. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the year. Wow, it's a royal wedding coming. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Wow. And it's coming. 
I said, it, it's not just a, our hope isn't just a wishful hope. It's a done deal because Jesus is there waiting for us, getting us ready to come. I'm sold out on Jesus. I'm also so glad that I love him so much that I want to work with him in making a glorious bride. Okay? Summary. Here we go. I'm going to pray in a minute. Summary. Christ Church Blackpool is precious to Jesus. It is his church. He has planted us in Blackpool to display his wisdom to all the powers. He calls us to be a family of his, sons and daughters, to display his love to our culture, to those around us. What God plants and waters, guess what? Grows. He is going to cause us to grow by adding people to us. Some are lost and needed salvation. They will come to meet him for the first time. Others want to be part of a family that loves God, loves people, and wants to serve Jesus into the world. <laughs> Today, I think the Lord was saying, if you will appreciate how he feels about this church, will you commit yourself again to do the most important task of working with him and praying with him to make this church something very special for him? Will you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you called to Ben and Jen about planting a church here. You said, come on, I'd like you to do it. And thank you for people like <laughs> Julian and Andrea who said, hey, we're part of that. You know, we've been working in Blackpool. We sense that God's with you. Lord, we thank you for people like Skip and Judy saying, we're going to move to help this happen. We thank you for Shagan and Tommy saying, oh, this is something special. It's not like the church we've been in, but we believe God's here. And Lord, I could add so many more names. Lord, you've started to add to us people who are so special and dear to us. And Lord, we know it's, it's on your mind. It was your plan. And we want to help you. We want to be a people that give you praise, that delight your heart. And I pray, would you catch us with the wonder of the church again? That even though we seem small by worldly standards, we know that that's how you began the whole church in the first place. And I thank you, Lord, that you do cause things to grow. Now make this grow to your glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, downloads and podcasts, please visit ccblackpool.com.